Live from Spain, this is The Drive Home with Harry Waters. Hello everybody and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. I'm Harry Waters and I'll be taking you today on your drive home. Um, I hope you're well. Um, Has all this nonsense with Bojo got your goat? How's it got you feeling? Um, uh, And what do you think is going to happen? But don't worry, we're not going to be focusing on that nonsense here today. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about all sorts of other wonderful aspects uh, within teaching, um, also outside of teaching. I've got a fantastic uh, guest today. I'm so happy to to be able to to interview her. It's been it's been quite a while I've been waiting for this show actually. I asked I asked Emily to come on a little while back. Um and she, she agreed. She agreed to this very date. Um so I've been nervously anticipating it this whole time. Um and I believe she is now here. She's in the room. She's with us. Emily, hello. How are you? Hi, how are you? Can you hear me okay? I can hear you loud and clear. Wow, great. But just right and clear, actually. We say loud and clear, but, you know, it's, in terms of sound levels, it's just the right sound level. Um, it. But it is clear, which is what's important with this. Um, so, Emily, hello. Hi. Uh, it's Thanks so wonderful. Oh, it's a pleasure. As I mentioned just at the intro there, um, I, I managed to... to hook you into a show a little while back and it's been, I've been kind of watching the days on the calendar, counting them down, <laughs> looking forward to this because I feel like I know you quite well, but I've never actually spoken to you until about six or seven minutes ago. Yeah, we've been chatting quite a lot on social media, haven't we? Yeah, it's the the wonderful world of, of I think, post-pandemic life or obviously yeah. it's not post-pandemic yet, but... Um, I think it's really been accentuated by the the pandemic. Everyone's kind of fall into going online. And uh, before we do get into the the nitty gritty of the graphic nature of this conversation, obviously, um, I want to quickly mention marigolds. Um, we talked. I talked about them with, with Bavna a while back, um, and you mentioned them this week on um, on LinkedIn. Uh, and I think Facebook as well, and uh, not Facebook on Twitter as well. I, I can never remember which social media. Yeah, post them on four. So, for, oh, there you go. Instagram, Twitter, they're everywhere. Well, there you go. Um, so yeah, it was it was fantastic, and I firmly believe you as one of my um, biggest marigolds. You know, one of my Aww. one of the people that really helps me along the, the most with other other people out there. Um, for those of you that don't know what a marigold is, um, listen to the talk with Bavna for a start, um, the episode with Bavna. And yeah, it's somebody who basically helps you grow. Um, when you plant a marigold, it helps the things around it grow. And a marigold in, in a person is one of those people that helps you grow, helps you perform, encourages you with all sorts of things. Um, and there are so many in our profession, I believe, within ELT. Um, I imagine there are outside of ELT as well, but it just seems like a really enriching environment. Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah and especially now, post-COVID world, I suppose, where yeah, when we're all online, definitely my online network of marigolds is growing. And I think the more hats I get as well, 
the more marathons I get because I end up with more and more teams that I know very well. So building more networks of people and yeah. You do have quite a few hats and we'll talk yeah. about these different <laughs> hats. The uh, yeah, I love hats as well, um, both metaphorically and literally. Um, as I mentioned when you were talking to Rachel Roberts the other day, uh, in fact, today I got a bit overwhelmed with my hats um, or, or plate spinning, as I often call it as well, because I have so many different things going on. I just got a bit overwhelmed at one point today and kind of sat down and had to breathe deeply for a while and think, you know, time for a relaxing tea. But I do love the the varied aspect of, of this life. Um, and we're going to talk about that with you now. But before we do, can you briefly summarise your, your journey to where you are now? Okay, so I started uh, teaching, I guess it was a Polish summer camp for a few weeks uh, in the summer of 2002. And then once I finished university in 2004, I went to South Korea and taught there for a year where I was teaching kids, which was brilliant fun. And came home from there and didn't really know what to do with myself. So I did a CELTA. And then I started teaching at the college. At the time, that was just as um, the UK had opened up to European uh, to European migration. So there was lots and lots of Eastern Europeans needing English language lessons. So lots of uh, opportunities for ESOL teaching jobs. So I started teaching at the college, which was Glasgow Metropolitan College at the time. It's now City of Glasgow College, so I've been there since about 2007. Um, and basically, yeah, after a few, maybe a few years of being there, I got a bit addicted to doing secondments. And my, my first secondment was doing the ESOL Network Project Coordination, so that was uh, coordinating classes around Glasgow and community classes and doing initial assessments, getting students into classes. Um, and from, and from there, I started um, working for Education Scotland as the development officer for ESOL. So that was basically writing policies and advising MSPs, members of Scottish Parliament, on how to um, support ESOL learners and I love it when a job title has officer in it it's just yeah. brilliant I, I love that it, it just was, sounds like do you get a badge with that yeah I mean I was writing speeches for MSPs it was quite bizarre to do really but also great and very eye-opening um and uh from there kind of uh there was funding that at the time there was a vulnerable person's Syrian, Syrian resettlement scheme uh, so there was funding for uh, resettlement uh, projects. And so we applied to do a peer education project with the Scottish Refugee Council. So I went to manage that. And then went back to the college for a bit. Uh, and throughout all, throughout all of that, I was writing for Macmillan, the British Council. Uh, I just like to keep uh, myself busy, really, and do lots of different things. Um, and then uh, National Geographic Learning offered me uh, the opportunity to write a course book for them, which was Voices. Obviously, you don't say no to that because that's like, <laughs> isn't that everybody's dream? <laughs> so 
um, I'm pretty sure it's absolutely everybody's dream, like literally in the entire world, whether or not they're in ELT. I I actually think, (laughs) you know, as a child, I know that I was dreaming of that. But no, seriously, that really literally is the dream. It's exceptional. It's, it's, It's brilliant. And I look, I very much look forward to getting stuck into it. Yeah. And then the graphic facilitation came, I think, first encountered graph facilitation was at Scottish Refugee Council and uh, Martha Harding, who was a training supervisor, training, I don't know what her role title would be, but she was a trainer there, uh, was very much into graphic, yeah, she she used a lot of graphic facilitation techniques. And then I went back to the college and there was a, um, a graphic facilitator came in and did a, like, I think it was like a one hour demo session and I was just instantly completely amazed by the magic of it and I thought this can really help me because I was teaching ESOL literacy at the time so learners who um, are basically teaching students to read and write in English and some learners who don't have literacy in their first language so it can be a bit challenging they don't necessarily they can't necessarily go away and take notes and write you can't say to them write that write the translation in your language but you can give them a little doodle to draw, to copy, so they've got something to remember it later. And, yeah, just kind of thought this could be really useful. So I went and basically since then did lots and lots of different graphic facilitation courses and read lots of books and practised lots and brought it into all my lessons. And then I thought I need to get this out to the world because it's amazing. It's like a superpower, so... Yeah, that's kind of my journey so far, I guess. Brilliant. We'll get m- deeper into that very soon. Yeah. Um, something I would like to ask you about, something that that really jumped out on me, I think it was during the Innovate conference um, mm-hmm. back in October. Um, it may have been slightly before that, but I, I discovered your love for giant redwoods. Now, you know me um, being a planet lover when I see somebody describe themselves as a tree hugger it's you know it it gets me straight away it's something that really gets me so what is it about giant redwoods that gets you uh lots of things firstly they're they're amazing and what we all love about them is that they actually sequester they soak up more co2 than any other tree so if you want uh, to catch carbon, redwoods are the way forward. Uh, they grow to a ridiculously humongous size. There's some in America that are 2,000 years old. And yeah, when, when people, um, like maybe 200 years ago, when uh, European settlers came over to America, they started cutting down the trees and... Uh, yeah, one, one was as big as a dance floor. And it's just really sad to watch that happening. They're cutting down these huge trees that have been around since for 2,000 years. And they're just, yeah, they're cutting them down. But now they're being protected. And one of the things about Scottish redwoods is their ex situ status. So I kind of like to see them as like the people seeking refuge, people, like people seeking sanctuary or trees seeking sanctuary in another mm-hmm. country. So ex situ is basically. Uh, so, for example, monkey puzzle trees are endangered. There's not many many of them in Chile, but uh, 
in the UK, if you plant them, then there will always be monkey puzzle trees in the world. Same with giant redwoods. Ah, okay. I don't know if you saw the lots of uh, redwood uh, the fires uh, in California. So actually, mm-hmm. lots and lots of redwoods um, were burned in those fires. So um, it's protecting another population of trees, so that there's um, so that they can continue growing, I suppose, throughout the world. Yeah. Also, so there's that... just so few of them in Scotland. Like there's something like um, um, like three thousand redwoods in Scotland. Three thousand giant ones. Maybe a thousand coasts. And how many have you seen? Oh, how many have I seen? <laughs> I don't know. I've, I, yeah, mm, probably like a hundred or two hundred. Not many. That's, that's like, pretty good. You'll find, a lot, you'll find a lot of them are together in like redwood rows. So like maybe like yeah, they tend they tended to plant them in redwood rows. They were brought over to Scotland about one hundred and fifty years ago, and um, mostly on estates. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you'll find them in like gardens of country houses and stuff like that. Tell you what, it um, probably wouldn't fit one in my garden, that's for sure. Yeah, um, <laughs> I have one in my garden, but don't know if the neighbours would like it very much. Yeah, well, I, I'm quite lucky that I live right on the corner um, and I look out like over the city. So mine's like the last house before the edge of the hill. But I just I don't know if my wife would allow an enormous tree to take up the entire yeah. I mean, quite limited space. It's true. That is true. For fifty years. Yeah, we we actually had um, a monkey puzzle in our front garden uh, when we moved in, but it was it hadn't been it wasn't in a good state. Uh, it, we had to do something with it that made me feel very, very sad. We had to wow. chop it down because otherwise it would have fallen down into the house. Um, yeah. So that was something that uh, brought me quite a lot of pain, to be honest. Um, mm. <laughs> emotional pain. But um, anyway, um, so your your love of trees is one of your outside of um outside of ELT, as it were. Have you ever managed to write it into a lesson plan? No, I haven't, actually, but I feel like I definitely need to do a sketch note of how amazing they are and just, like, some really brief facts about why they're amazing. Obviously, the that's, carbon that's, capture it's, it's being It's been on my list to do, yeah, and if it, yeah. Carbon capture, the size of them. There's lots of superlatives in trees, like, yeah. 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 I was I was learning a bit the about tall, uh, yeah the coast trees today. The tallest, yeah. I do like I, I am a big fan of trees. I especially like climbing trees. Um, I might be uh, an almost thirty-eight year old man, but nothing nothing gets me going like going out and seeing a good climbing tree and just being like, I'm going to get yeah. to the top of that one. Well, um, you can actually sleep in uh, giant redwood. There, there is a book uh, called Wild Trees by. Richard someone I can't remember his surname and I, he goes and sleeps in them and like oh, wow. at the top they, they, they have bushes the, one, the very top ones in America have bushes and berries and whole ecosystems with lichens that have never been heard of before oh, amazing and species up the top of these trees oh, that's incredible my, my good friend who was actually a guest on one of my earlier shows, his his mum is a, a big lichen enthusiast. She lives off one of the islands in Scotland. She's a, a huge, I don't know what they're called, a lichenist? I don't know. This is a new <laughs> thing to me. So um, 
but yeah, it was. We went out for a walk while she was over here over Christmas, and she had her her magnifying glass. Um, but that was a, uh, you know, I I do love when people have passions that involve nature and the environment, but it's not your just your traditional things, which is why I had to hear about uh, giant yeah. redwoods. Really, it's something that, yeah, it's it always kind of. It really grabbed my attention when I saw that. Um, and when I, I remember they posted it on Instagram, actually, asking which of the speakers is a fan of Redwood, is a tree hugger. I was oh, like, yeah. I know the answer. I'm going to comment. Because <laughs> I've read all of the bios of all of the speakers. Um, so, yeah, that was, uh, yeah. That was pretty good. That yeah, was pretty it was actually good. John from the, one of my colleagues at the college, John Lamont, who got me into giant redwoods he brought a giant redwood cone into college one day and he he actually grows them they're ridiculously hard to grow and yet he has managed to grow many little baby redwoods oh that's impressive he'll bring in the saplings to college they're so cool i can i can grow you an olive tree um but that's mostly because i'm surrounded by olive trees so you know they they grow by accident here so he's absolutely surrounded with them um well that's awesome um, very shortly, we're gonna we're gonna shoot off to the news, um, and then when we come back, we're gonna get a lot deeper into into everything ELT and 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 Emily Bryson. Obviously, um, I'm, we're going to hear about the uh, fantastic National Geographic series. We are going to hear um, we are also going to hear much more about graphic facilitation, what it is, why it is. Um, and and why it's so useful and I'd also like to hear a little bit something about uh, the course that you've got going on at the moment as well Um, because I know that a lot of the listeners they're not I don't want to say it like this this sounds terrible they're not just English language teachers I don't mean it in the respect that we're just English language teachers I mean it in the respect that they are teachers of all different subjects all different areas um and I think from from what I've learned from you um, doing your talks and what I've learned from you online, I think it's something that can really help every teacher, not, yep. not only English language teachers, but it can help every area and especially in places where um, literacy is low. Now, I remember when I was uh, teaching very young learners and my automatic reaction was type into Google Images, what is it, you know, and if you have the technology, if you're there in the classroom and you can do that, you can pull it up and type into Google Images what a, I don't know, pencil case is, then it's brilliant. But if you've got the ability to use these simple images um, to create this this vocabulary and these ideas, I, I don't know, it, it does yeah. seem like a genuine superpower. Yeah, the thing is with Google Images, it disappears. So if you've got if you've got an overhead projector, it's not there at the end of class. But if you've drawn it on your whiteboard, then it's still there at the end of class. That is an excellent it's point. Their notebook, it's still there at the end of class, and it's still there in their visual memory. And that is an excellent it point. Out, it's gone into their motor memory as well. It's it's so good for memory. So many so many benefits. Well, um. We'll get on to those shortly. We're going to shoot off for a quick news advert and technology break. Um, so if you're listening, guys, you've got about six and a half, seven minutes to run off, 
grab your water, pop to the toilet. We'll be back very shortly um, after the, these words from our sponsors. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full, free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. According to the Education Authority in Northern Ireland, 18 out of 38 post-primary schools have fewer than 500 pupils, and this is unsustainable. The Education Authority has placed the cost of teaching a pupil at 30 to 80% higher for a relatively small school compared to a larger school. The EA's draft plan for the next five years also highlights a need for 2,000 additional places for pupils in special schools, many of which have a shortage of places. The strategic plan for 2022 to 2027 states while aiming to support sustainable rural provision, there are still too many small, unsustainable schools. There may be some local circumstances where provision will be necessary, but the determination of this will be subject to consultation, assessment and rationale for provision. In Nottinghamshire, there is mounting concern over a rise in children missing lessons as statistics show a 111% increase in school refusers between autumn 2020 and summer 2021. 125 pupils refused to attend school compared to 59 the previous year and there were also 157 pupils missing as a result of mental health issues a rise of 63%. Councillor Jim Creamer said, these are very high percentage numbers. It is definitely going in the wrong direction. What has gone wrong and what are we doing to address these figures? It does concern me about mental health because of COVID. There are going to be serious issues in more formative years. 
the National Deaf Children's Society has said that face masks have made lip reading impossible and cover up facial expressions. They are urging parents of deaf children across England to email the Education Secretary, Nadeem Sahawi, to raise the issue. The NDCS want the government to provide clear face coverings in schools and colleges with deaf pupils. The government is set to review the use of face masks in secondary schools and colleges in England on January the 26th. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week Steve has lost his voice. So I am going to take a look at visualizing in the classroom. Before I begin, this is not about which product is best and comparing brands and features. This is about what you need to consider to make the best choice for your school or department. Visualizing in the classroom, in my opinion, is getting something that would be difficult to see into a format that a whole class can see more easily. This may be a live moving image or a still image. Also, it may be projected onto a large screen or cast out to multiple devices. The whole idea is it makes something small more accessible. The list of devices that can do this is huge, but they fall, roughly, into three categories. Visualizers, document cams and webcams. What is the difference? In sport the definition of fitness is the ability to cope with the environment around you. When you are purchasing a device, this is what you need to consider. Don't just buy one because someone else uses it and says it's amazing. Their environment may be totally different to yours. The factors that are going to affect your purchase are cost, size, software, portability, features, and what you already have in terms of audio-visual equipment. Lighting is sometimes overlooked and depending on what you are capturing can make a huge difference. Starting with the most expensive option, the visualizer. Generally, classroom visualizers come with a large footprint meaning they take up a lot of desk space. They tend to have a high-quality downward-facing camera, lighting built-in top-down and even sometimes a backlit bed. They tend to allow control from the unit so there will be little or no need to move away from the device to operate. This may be useful if a lot of time is spent using the device or furniture obstructs movement. A lot of visualizers are also standalone, meaning they work independently of your computer. However, additional software can be installed to further augment the experience. Document cameras tend to be less expensive, have a smaller footprint and be more portable compared to visualizers. However, they usually have less features and need a computer to use them. Although they are plug and play, there is normally additional software available that will provide the ability to capture still and moving images, zoom in and out like a visualizer, but normally control is via the computer it is attached to. Generally, they do not feature built-in lighting, but tend to have a built-in microphone. The cheapest option, the webcam is plug and play and may have additional software. However, the previous devices are designed for projecting something desk-based to an audience. The webcam is designed to work in a different way, but can be more versatile, especially if you move rooms frequently. You need a computer to plug it into. Some come with flexible arms and a base you can plug it into, but like the document cam, they are restricted by the length of the USB cable. Now we have an idea of what the devices are capable of. The next question is what do you already have? Do you have an interactive board? If so, imaging a pupil's book with a cheaper webcam and using pinch zoom and annotation may do the job. Or in a bright setting, an HD webcam may do the trick. In the past, the rule was the higher the price, the better quality of image. Today, that isn't necessarily so. My conclusion is before you spend out, do your research and consider the fitness of the device for your environment and your value for money. And please talk to your school technical support before you purchase anything. Sometimes devices are not compatible with school networks. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods' screen reader, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Um, at the top of the, the ad break there, we heard about Nearpod. Now, I'm just going to put in the chat uh, a quick video there from another Marigold, um, Charlie's Lessons. He's got a great video tutorial on how to use Nearpod. 
Um, he published it almost a year ago now. Um, and I just realized that on YouTube, I hadn't yet liked it, which is just terrible. Um, although I've also realized um, I'm on my wife's account, so maybe she hadn't liked it yet. And uh, now I have for her. Um, hopefully that will help the algorithm for, for my wife, who is a photographer, to get plenty more educational videos um, on there. Um, <laughs> but that's enough about Charlie. Uh, let's get back to getting graphic. Um, so this graphic superpower, I'm going to start you with something, Emily. Now, I'm sure you've heard this one before, but I can't draw. <laughs> Everyone can draw. So, yeah, people do say that quite often, and I think it comes from maybe a negative experience they had in their childhood. Um, but in reality, it's a bit like learning to swim or learning to sing or learning to drive you or learning a language mm -hmm. um you just need to practice um drawing the drawings i do are really simple and the old all drawings are basically squares circles lines rectangles squiggles maybe maybe a zigzag and if you break down, if you have a look on my blog and have a look at the pictures on my blog and the little drawings on my blog you will see if you look closely at them you will see that that's basically all they're composed of um and if you can draw square circles and uh basic shapes then you can draw just by putting it together it's the same with uh, the alphabet so you learn the alphabet and if you've learned the alphabet and you can put it together then you can also draw which is also why i think it's great for pre-literate learners who are learning how to read and write because when you think about kids acquiring uh, literacy skills they start off with scribbles and doodles and then build on to more pen control to create letters so it's the same it's the same as writing the alphabet really it's all learning and practice and it's something that really struck me when I when I first saw saw your um, graphic facilitation stuff um, I looked at it and I thought they're great like the images are great, they're fantastic, they're wonderful, but they're not complex in any way, shape, or form. Like I know exactly what it is, but it's not a complex drawing. It's not, you know, what one of my one of my daughter's best friends, in fact, her best friend, is an incredible artist. You know, she's eight, but like her drawings are absolutely out of this world and they're so detailed and you know, they are brilliant. And and I look at her and I think, you know, you're this is absolutely incredible what you can do. This this is a talent. This is an art side of things. But but when I look at what you do, it's something that seems like anybody could do it. Yeah, that's the whole and point. I'm not trying to criticise your drawing. No, no, that's, no, that's exactly That really the point. sounds like I'm saying that you're not good at drawing. You you clearly are. But the fact is, they they seem so simple and so useful. Like. They are the, so simple. So they're a visual vocabulary. Graphic facilitation is about using your visual vocabulary to communicate a point. And just like learning a vocabulary in a language, you acquire your visual vocabulary by learning how to draw simple things. So I've got a visual dictionary. Actually, I've got multiple visual dictionaries. So I've got a notebook. I've got a ring binder full of um, all the icons that I've learned how to draw. And I've just built them up over time, the same way that you would when you're 
uh, learning a language. And you just, yeah, practice them. So a few years ago when I, yeah, a few years ago when I first encountered uh, graphic facilitation, I hadn't really drawn since high school. So I kind of stopped drawing at high school, which is, uh, there's research that shows that there's actually quite a few people, um, quite a, it's quite a trend to draw while you're at school and you're maybe getting art classes and then once you stop getting art classes, all of a sudden you stop drawing and life gets more serious. And Were you good at school at drawing? I, yeah, I was quite good, but I didn't take it forward past fourth year at school. So I, I did stop. Yeah, I think I stopped long before fourth year of high school. I was uh, um, never very good at art. I was more into the drama side of things. So as soon as I had the opportunity to not have to draw things, I, I can remember one day, now you're talking about this negative experience of, of when you're a child. Um, I've got three particular memories of, of my art classes. One of them was in the first ever Ofsted inspection I was part of. It must have been in maybe year two of primary school. And I drew a, um, it's a musical instrument, the one that's got loads of little beads around it and you like shake it from side to side. Oh. I don't know what it's called. I've got no oh, idea. Okay. But I drew a really, really good one. And like, it, it was brilliant. You know, it was spot on. I spent ages doing it. And the Ofsted inspector lady was like, that's brilliant. Can I have it? And I was like, well, I want to keep it for myself, to be honest. You know, it's the only good thing I've ever drawn. And, and she took it and it was great. You know, she had it. I, I then tried to draw it again and I couldn't. Like, I couldn't get it quite to the same level. So that kind of half, you know, get, had, gave me a little scar. And then um, later on, I remember I was with my, um, in my middle school, um, and we were sent off to, uh, there were three of us were sent off to do a, a portrait of the assistant head teacher. I don't know why I was selected to do it, but I was. And it was, you know, it was too much pressure for me. It was a terrible picture. And he openly said that to me. And I think that might have been one of the moments when suddenly I was just like, nah, don't want to do this anymore. I can't, can't be bothered to do it anymore. I don't want the pain um, so I just kind of stopped then. Yeah, I think that's probably quite a common story. And maybe maybe it's partly the, the, the would there be a perfectionist element to it, or well, I'm not sure. Drawing's different, and so when you yeah. do the second picture, I've, I've certainly drawn multiple pictures, and then the second one's not as good, or just can't get it the same again. And yeah. yeah, that can be quite frustrating. But so, so with this graphic facilitation, the whole point is that you're just communicating a point. You're just getting your point across. So it wouldn't need to be a work of art. In fact, it's most definitely not art. It's communication. What so, would you say is your most drawn ooh, thing? Icon. Probably icon. A notebook. There you go. Maybe a notebook. I bet you've got it down or to a pen or. The light bulb. I love the light bulb because light bulbs can stand for creativity. They can stand for ideas. They can stand for energy, electricity, renewable energy. Um, the best kind. Critical thinking. Some people use that. That for uh, I, um, the light bulb for critical thinking. Yeah. So it, lots of different. If if you learn some common icons, it's a bit like learn when you learn English, you learn the most common two hundred words, and then they say that you can communicate more or less. 
You've heard so me speak in Spanish, the haven't common you? Icons. <laughs> you learn the most common icons that, to draw. You're so you're kind of like inventing emojis, basically, aren't you? Yeah, kind of. well, yeah. Yeah, then we, we would call them icons. So drawing drawing icons. My well, apologies. Yeah. My apologies. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's not copying it's not copying a piece of art. It's copy yeah, if you copy icons. So I quite often say to people if if you're stuck for an idea, uh, do a search for whatever it is you want to draw plus icon because it's also an international language of icons. When you think about it, when you arrive in an airport, uh there'll be certain things that have the same icon, like toilets, for example. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows the international symbol for toilets. Um, headphones. If you look at Zoom, you've got the chat, you've got uh, the mute, you've got the, the video. All these yeah. icons are just things that you're... That these are the kind of things that we would copy. At that, they're everywhere. That basic. Yeah, they're everywhere. And so when I you're going for a walk... Everywhere. Have a look for icons and yeah, copy them. Download the image for a download, just the arrow with the little half rectangle underneath it. Yeah, the the switch your camera around with the the camera yeah. with the two things in it. There's this icons is all everywhere. Vocabulary. Yeah, it's, I'm just I've, I've just looked Which at my computer screen. Which is also visual screen. literacy. So if you get students used to drawing it, but also being aware of it in the classroom, then it's helping their visual literacy as well. That's brilliant. How many icons would you say you use every day in a, in a class? Does it does it depend on the on the class or? Yeah, it depends on the class and what I'm teaching really. And um, but there's some I quite like drawing like a, a clock. So a clock would be a circle, and then inside the circle you've got an L. Oh yeah. Um, and then I'd put the time on it to say this is break time from this time to this time, for example. Oh, okay. Or like That's at the beginning, good. yeah. Uh, we've we've like got one of our book. one of our listeners is calling in, so I'm guessing he's got a question. I'm just going to open the mic to him. Um, okay. Uh, see see what the question is. I'm going to see if he wants to come in and say hello. Um, although there are times when people accidentally call in and then they don't actually okay. want to say hello. So I, I've said to guests in the past, somebody's calling in, and then suddenly nobody's actually called in because they just clicked it by accident. Um, let's have a look. Um, Abby, is that? Would you like to? Would you like to ask a question to Emily about graphic facilitation? Um, it doesn't appear to be connecting. Oh. I, I interrupted you for but, for nothing. My apologies. I'm very sorry about that. Understanding with the icon for calling. Well, it, it said it, it said accept, so I, I clicked yes. I clicked go ahead, and and there's a. I don't know, perhaps there's a technological glitch somewhere along the way. Like That thing that you said about icons and just check them out, it's literally blown my mind because I'm just looking at the screen and they're just everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. I mean, you go for a walk, you're going to see them everywhere, in the train station, at bus stops. It's when really I go into cool. the call, it was a, quite a lot with a COVID, a, wear your face mask signs everywhere, that kind of thing. And they really don't need a lot of explanation. I mean, I think one of my, my favourites is the save button. You know, the fact yeah. that it's an old floppy disk. Yeah. Um, and I, I found a floppy disk 
and I showed it to my to my daughter and she was like, ah, oh, that's the save sign, isn't it? And I was like, <laughs> yes, it is. And it comes from somewhere, by the way, and this is where it comes from. And she was just like, oh, wow. And then we had a, a talk about it. And um, yeah, it was it was one of those moments of, you know, something that's no longer in use, but it is uh, but it's very much been International used. icon, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, just you just look through you look through the computer screen and there's just so many like the Wi-Fi yeah. icon, the, the history icon. It's yeah, it's mind blowing to be honest. It's a little triangle. Yeah. Like pause, play, record, fast forward, all of those ones. Yeah. The one um, that I use also quite often is a magnifying glass. It's just a circle with a line, really. But you can use it for research. You can look at it for finding information. You can look at fo- look at its focus or uh, Google it. You could intensely. use it for googling something as well. I guess. Search. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is brilliant. And I think um, so. In an ELT environment or in an ESOL environment, it's incredibly useful to have these um, these icons up your sleeve, as it were, because of this. Um, a gap, I guess, in, mm. you know, between not just yourself and the students, but between the students themselves, you know, particularly yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're teaching in a multilingual class as well. You know, I'm, I'm fairly lucky when I teach in classes here in, in Spain because, that you know, we have Spanish and it, I can go to their L1 and I can, you know, work through it that way. Obviously, I don't just automatically translate everything or... That would be a bit of a pointless waste of time. Um, but when you have multilingual classes and they don't have that to fall back on, you, you know, they can't mm. just say, oh, well, actually, what well, that is in our language, that one of them can't help the other one. And say, what it is in our language is this. You do need that other outlet. Yeah. And have you found your students catching on to this? Yeah. So actually... For the last few years, I've been actively encouraging them to draw in the classroom and to draw their notes and to take, like, uh, notebooks. So uh, last year when we were completely online, I would take pictures. Actually, this morning as well. Well, still doing it because I'm teaching online at the moment. I'm taking pictures of the notebook. So I'll show you the notebook that I did this morning. We were were doing A, gap E, so words with, like, long A, and then... So I'll just take a photo of my notebook with like the oh, icons wow. and get them to copy that into their notebook with the with the words and the pictures. That was how I did it for a few years, was basically actively encourage them in class and online to do that. But this year I decided just to try something but different and not to say anything. Just to so we started the year face to face. And I was just drawing in class, but not saying anything, not encouraging them to do anything, just drawing on the whiteboard. I'd be giving them some handouts that maybe had some drawings on them, but not saying anything, not saying, try to copy this. And actually, within a few weeks, students were just drawing anyway and getting really, really into it and drawing on the whiteboard. And um, yeah, they were absolutely loving it. And That's yeah, it really surprised me. My little heart was like, oh, it's amazing, did that, how sweet. And, that's yeah, something I've like really it. noticed with um, my – so I, I work with three different classes. One of them is, is a group of seven-year-olds that we teach face-to-face. I say we because my, my wife joins me in teaching this class just because, 
you know, why not? Um, <laughs> she's a photographer now, but she likes to teach as well still. Um, and yeah, I've I've been been doing that with some of the images. Uh, we're doing food at the moment, for example, and you know, with you in mind, uh, my wife was writing the words up onto the board, and I was drawing it on the other side yeah. of the board. And the and the automatic thing a, a Spanish student says is copy. Like that's like, literally the first thing they'll say is copy. Um, and we said this is your vocabulary. Yeah. Have a look. Uh, and there were two of them that did the word and copied my version of what an apple was supposed to look like. Um, obviously, an apple shouldn't look like that. Um, and I need to work a bit more on how to do an apple. Um, but yeah. As long as they've got some, a cue in their head to go home with, it's going to nudge them to think that's what an apple is. Well, exactly. Um, because we also did it with realia. You know, we did it with a real apple. We did it with yeah. we did eggs with real eggs. You know, we had that. Um, we have it here in our house, so you know we can do that. Um, we we have food in our house. This is wow. You know, we're not quite. It's not quite the end of the month yet, so there is still food in the house. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's uh, it. It was really nice to see that, that they were kind of doing that, and I know for a fact that. I don't know, a year ago, let's say, I wouldn't have drawn the pictures. You know, If, you know, worse comes to worse, they still have no idea. Um, I would have done like, like Rachel Roberts mentioned the other day in your talk um, with her, you know, draw it on the board and they'd all have a good laugh about it. Now, I, I mean, would also laugh about it. Some of mine still do that as well. And I can understand why, because sometimes my drawings are terrible. And I think that's good. I guess it gets people laughing and you don't want to be intimidating it either. If yeah. If the if your drawings in class are like so detailed and perfect, then students are are going to look at them and feel intimidated and probably aren't going to copy. But if they're simple and it looks like something that they can do in five seconds or less, then they can then they'll be much more I would guess inspired to. Mine are often quite cryptic. That's how bad and, they can and be. Cryptic. <laughs> Well, it depends what the concept exactly? is. I mean, some like when you get more like I mean, like drawing things like motivation or pride and stuff like that. That can be a bit uh, more difficult. But oh, mine's like drawing a phone. Thinking skills. Mine's like drawing a phone, and they're looking at it like, "What is that? You know, the brick, uh, wallet, <laughs> look like tissue. It's a phone, guys. Look, it's a phone. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. So." Um, Definitely something I need to do is is like take it back to basics and have a look at these uh, these things. Um, so I want to know from you, what are the, the first steps into becoming a better graphic facilitator for your students? What would be the first, your first tips? Um, oh. I mean, my, my first instinct is to say, join my online course because that's what I'm hoping to train everybody in. Here's a great tip, everybody. Join our online course. Um, yeah. How can they find out about your online course? It's, uh, if, you, if they go to emilybrysonelt.com. I'm going to put it in the uh, chat here. There's a page specifically about my course. So the first that um, it's actually started, it started on Monday, uh, the second um, of the, yeah. My, my first course was in October-ish time, and then I've, 
this is the second one, the second cohort just started on Monday there. So, and then I'll be doing another one probably in autumn, toying with doing another one in spring, depending on interest, other work suppose, or interest. But I'm also toying about putting some of it asynchronously so that people can like maybe having like drawing sessions as well. Uh, are you or, recording your lessons then? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I'll be recording. Yeah, I've got videos. I've got drawing demonstration videos that I just need to put on a learning platform. So there you go. Do you use it? Do you currently it. use a learning platform for your course? Uh, at the moment, no. I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible, just to keep it as collaborative as possible. So we're using a Facebook group because mm -hmm. a lot of the learning is sharing pictures and icons and teaching ideas on the Facebook group. But yeah, open that that's up. excellent. Change um, to an online platform, forumy type thing in the future as well. Well, that was what I was. But thinking I always find this... that those forums, people don't log into them. People are on Facebook already, and then they get yeah. notified when they get updated. So people actively engage more. Well, that was so, it yeah, with with my course that I was doing. I'm I was setting it up on uh, Thinkific, but I was yeah. like. It was taking so long to set up for a start, probably because I'm not very good at setting up courses because I'd never done it before. Um, but then I just thought, I'm not going to do the first one like that. Maybe if it goes asynchronous, I'll put it up on there and you know people will be able to use it in future. But at the moment, I want it to, to involve... It's all about, like you say, it's all about collaboration and working together. And yeah. that's that's where I really want to focus things to, the, the Zoom calls and to you know, the, the other air working areas. But um, so other than doing your course, which everybody should do, yeah. by the way, um, <laughs> I want to do it. I, did, I really wanted to do this January course, but um, things got a little bit crazy with with stuff, um, like planning my own course and, you know, yeah. writing a book proposal and then... Having too many hats. Too many hats, too many plates to spin, and then various conferences and stuff like that to to do and to plan and, and to get ready and yeah you know, live classes and regular classes in the end I was like something's got to give but my CPD yeah. goal of the year is to attend your course so um Great. it's definitely up there uh it's it's number one on my CPD to-do list um Excellent. so I thought the next best thing was get you on the show <laughs> <laughs> and talk to you about it here um but also obviously I can I can check out your blog um and there's loads of hints on there and, and you frequently post yeah. on Twitter and you've got the the drawing ELT hashtag as well haven't you so yeah so well yeah I guess if you want somewhere to start you could have a look at my blog and then maybe copy some of the icons that are on my blog and maybe try out some of the teaching ideas that are on there mm -hmm. you could also check out hashtag drawing ELT on Twitter and then share any doodles that you put on the uh, well, any doodles that you draw in class. Uh, if they're on your whiteboard, then don't forget hashtag ELT whiteboard as well. Um, of course. Yeah, don't want to forget about hashtag ELT whiteboard. It's uh, important. Yeah. yeah, so you'll get lots of drawing ideas from hashtag drawing ELT. Um, you could also maybe just write a list of the icons that you want to know how to draw and then have a look on uh, a search engine for whatever they are plus icon and then play about with drawing them and then just have a visual dictionary where you can add all your icons 
I really love you do that. If you did one one a day, then you would learn a new word a day, and then by the end of the year, you'll have three hundred and sixty-five. Well, you're expecting me to work on the weekends? That's outrageous. (laughs) It's not work; it's drawing. Oh, okay, that's all right then. It's fun. Okay, I need to. That's something I need to remind myself of as well. That drawing is fun. Um, So yeah, actually, every fortnight on hashtag drawing the LT on Twitter, I do a kind of theme. So the theme this, this for this fortnight is break time. I really like your one because it goes it takes you on a step by step guide through how to draw a cup. Yeah. Which is great because I like I, to simplify it because that was the whole point was to get people drawing as simply as possible and sharing their drawing in the classroom ideas. That's something I've really noticed with my daughter's drawing especially. Obviously it's something I've been able to watch evolve over the years. Um because she's a child and she's not been beaten about her drawing skills just yet. So she continues to draw happily. Um, and what I've really seen when she, um, when she reads a Captain Underpants book, uh, which is, well, she's finished all of them now, but when like you get to the back of it and it's got how to draw some of the characters mm. and it does that step-by-step thing. And it's, you know, like you say, line, squiggle, circle, square, yeah. rectangle. And that's all it is along the way, but it shows you each step. So my daughter's able to sit there and do it step by step and draw. And, you know, she'll come out with a, an almost perfect imitation of, like, the, the cartoons in the in the books. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's it, it blows my mind because were she to just copy the picture, now it wouldn't be as good. Obviously, because she hasn't taken the steps and gone through one by one. And that's something I really loved about the, the break time one. Um, I, was, I yeah. was trying to think of one to do myself. I've only joined in with one of your drawing ELT challenges. Oh, yeah, the um, environment one. That was brilliant. The environment one. Yeah, I, I did join in with that one. I felt, you know, I, I felt I had to. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I have thought about joining other ones um, along the way. Um, but yeah, the break time one, I was just thinking, what would I do for break time? And for, for me, it would be someone doing some kind of yoga pose because yeah. when I have a break, when I stop, I like try and sit down and have a stretch and, you know, refocus. Although today when I have my lunch break, I went out into the garden, my, my wife and I were out there uh, and I finished. And then I just did windmills with my arms for about 15 minutes because my shoulders were really hurting so I just oh, stood really? there just waving my arms around like a windmill um I'm not sure that how that would come across in drawing ELT uh drawing a windmill for break time might need a bit of explaining <laughs> if I just have a person with arms kind of going around really really quickly yeah there you go I could, I could try I could try and do that you would be able to do it obviously um <laughs> And I want to have a go now. There you go. Um, Emily is live drawing now. Um, for those of you who are who are listening, um, so these are some some excellent ideas. Like I love this idea of a visual dictionary. I remember a while back um, looking at visual dictionaries. You know, the, the picture dictionaries that you get at school, mm. and, and seeing how how they were kind of useful. But again. It goes away. And and this thing that you said about drawing the icons yourself and doing it yourself, it really does help for, for your memory. Now I know that I the way I learn personally is is by writing something down, I'll remember it. So in terms of even with calendars, like I can show you my calendar now because 
I use like a real life calendar because mm-hmm. the act of me picking up the pen and writing it down, I won't forget it. Like I will yeah, not yeah, forget yeah. it. But if I go into Google calendars, Outlook, iCalendar, whichever one it is, um, I'll put it in there and I'll completely forget about it. I may get a reminder about it. I may not, depending on whether I put a reminder about it or not. So I don't know. Um, I have to write it on my calendar because it, it really sticks in my memory that way. Now, I know that I imagine when it comes to drawing your icons as well, that's one of the kind of really big things about it. Yeah, it is a lot of memory. This is what I've uh, drawn for your little arm. So basically just a person with uh, rotating arms, basically an arrow going round and round. Oh, there you go. There you go. It yeah. looks just like me as well. It does look just like you. No yeah. beard, sadly. You've had a shave, no beard but... yet. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> like that's that's the dream, me. You know, yeah. no beard, but with the with the bald head. And speaking about drawings of me, something I never thought I'd be able to say until the Innovate Conference. Now, I did share it when you did it, but one of the happiest moments of my 2021 <laughs> had to be when you posted your um, your. What what's it you call sketch it? Notes. Sketch note. There you go. Your yeah. sketch note of um of my talk, and it was just incredible. I could not stop looking at it. I, I I shared it everywhere. I showed my wife. I showed my daughter, and it just it was spot on. It was so good. Um, and I really love the idea of of sketch noting. Now I know that. One of my other guests is is a, um, Milica is a really good note taker as well, and she like fancies up her notes, and they always look really nice. But I don't know many people who sketch note quite the way you do. It's it's it's, it's amazing, and and the other ones you did as well, the other talks you went to were just they summed them up perfectly. Yeah, but so I, for years I would go to conferences and then write out these notes and then never look at them ever again. And then I got into the habit of, I know what I'll do, I'll put it in my app on my phone and then I put it on an app on my phone and never looked at it again. Yeah. Make it into a sketch note and it's pretty and you'll dig it out and you'll instantly remember all these things because there's graphic visuals of them and it's pleasing to the eye and it's easy to remember. You might just look at one icon and be like, oh yeah, I remember when they said that. Yeah. Um, well, I went from and it taking helps me notes. concentrate as well. When you when like innovate was what two days long, two days yeah. of webinars back to back. Yeah, I think I was, was like four webinars in a day. Zoom yeah. is real. And yeah, it really when you're it killed me. and you just get into the zone and yeah, you can focus and it's quite therapeutic. But also you're learning. Yeah, which well, is yeah. Also it absolutely destroyed me. The the zoom <laughs> yeah yeah the zoom fatigue really killed me because. I, I was trying not to take too many notes because I knew I wouldn't pay attention to them later. Obviously, now we get digital handouts, which is good. That was another mm-hmm. phase that I went through. You know, I'd take notes at first, and then I went to conferences, and it was just like stacks of handouts, which were useless unless it was classroom materials I'd use the next day because I'd rarely go back to it. Um, but, yeah, with with Innovate, I got some serious Zoom fatigue, and I think it was compounded by the fact that so the on the Friday, I I did my – I think I did my talk on the Friday. I can't remember. And then I went to a whole bunch of other talks. Then on the Saturday, first thing in the morning, I spoke at 
SA TEFL. So I spoke at the the Scottish oh, yeah. um, online, um, and then I, I watched Jamie Keddie's talk straight afterwards. And then I went over to Innovate and I watched two talks back to back. And then by that time, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon, maybe half past three. And I just, I couldn't anymore. Um, yeah. And I knew that your one was coming up next. And I was, I, I really wanted to watch it, but I couldn't, I just couldn't. So luckily, yeah, it, it became available on YouTube, which was, a, which was an absolute lifesaver. Um, yeah, so now, uh, yeah, so at Innovate, um, if you were at Innovate, I think I don't know. You need to log into the Innovate platform to get it. But yeah, they've they selected my talk as one of the top ten at Innovate last year, so quite chuffed about that. They and definitely yeah, did. <coughs> they didn't yeah. select mine as one of the top ten, though. Ah, uh, it should have been though. I really it's enjoyed it. Probably it was my top ten or top it was, three. It was probably number eleven, maybe. Like I just missed out. I would say so. <laughs> 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 Almost certainly. No. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> In all in all fairness, there were some absolutely incredible talks there, and yeah, um, being able to watch yours was was brilliant because um, it, it is just such a great idea to get out there and 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 do this and and try your hand at, at sketch noting and graphic facilitation. And I do believe that at IATEFL, I am going to give sketch noting a try. Um, absolutely, I'll, I'll be able I'll to practice on to. the train over there. Actually, maybe um, that's what the hashtag drawing ELT should be at IATEFL. It should be sketch note. There you go. Lots of sketch noting. Yeah. Look at that. I've got it ready for ready for Great. May. Thanks for the inspiration. All the way, all the way ahead of time. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm hoping to also speak very soon after that. Um, at, hopefully, at a, there's a, a big climate conference as well. So I'm hoping to speak at one of those not long afterwards. But I'm, I only spoke about that today, so I don't want to jinx it. Um, so I'm not going to say too much about that live on it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a, there's one coming up soon after it. So I'm, I'm hoping to also be able to speak at a climate conference, which would be great, be great. because I've only ever spoken at, at language conferences. So um, that would be nice. We are going to jump away for just the adverts now for just a couple of moments uh, away to the adverts. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk voices. Um so um, join us in a couple of minutes um, when we talk voices. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram 
or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. We are back uh, on the home straight. Um, and again, there was a mention there of in-class and remote and how it switches around. Now, I know that that's happened to you again, hasn't it, Emily? You've, you've gone yeah. remote again. Um, do you use Nearpod? Uh, no, I don't. But I probably well, should. They, well, there's, there's a chance. Does it now. involve um, logins? If it involves a login, I try to steer away from it because logins are a nightmare with my students. I lost it today. Um, I was in the bank, in the bank. I was in, I was in the supermarket, and I got a message about an invoice that had been paid. So I opened the message to see who the invoice was from, so I could, you know, say thanks for paying me and stuff, uh, and deal with it on my taxes and stuff like that. And and I clicked on it, and it took me away to another page where I had to log in. And I've got so many different passwords and different things. I've got them all written down in a book. But when I was out and about, I couldn't remember what it was, and I was just I, – I, I lost it. And I said to the lady in the supermarket – I love the ladies in Dear Supermarket. They don't offer people plastic bags anymore. They wait for them to ask. Uh, Small step, big difference. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, the – I just said to her, like, Patricia, I, I can't with logins anymore. And she just looked at me like, what are you even talking about? So, yeah, I, I feel you on that one there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so have a look at Charlie's uh, video, as I mentioned before. Well, that's great. But you are, you are an author. Um, yeah. Not for the first time, but this one, the this is big. Time. This yeah. is like, it's big. It's big yeah. this is like, this is big. This is yeah, books three, four, and five were big. This is like really big. This is a huge pat yourself on the back. You must be proud of yourself, kind of big. Yeah. Um, tell us about voices. Okay, so voices is the new course book series for uh, National Geographic Learning for adult general English, and I think it's got a lot of really innovative. Um, concepts in it. I think it's quite groundbreaking in many ways. Um, for one thing, we use the National Geographic Explorers to create authentic content. So we are. So we will. We we interviewed the National Geographic Explorers about things like their daily routine, their sleeping patterns, uh, whether they like taking plastic bags in the supermarket, that kind of thing. Uh, all sorts of the ELT related topics, you know, that we would talk about in the classroom. And uh, we can use them. We use them for listening activities for, as contexts. So we have real people talking about their real lives and bringing the world to, um, to the classroom, which is amazing. And yeah, we've also got the international communications thread of it. So Rather than having a speaking spread, we've got what I like to think of as speaking plus. It's not mm -hmm. just speaking, but it's also international communication. So it's something like, um, you know, negotiating with someone or um, managing conflict or disagreeing politely or, or disagreeing without yeah, saying no as well, that kind of thing, <laughs> staying positive. All sorts of uh, really useful uh, international communication skills tips that actually I think 
myself as a teacher. I think when I was writing them, I grew and learned quite a lot about my own communication. Um, and I, yeah, I think when teachers are teaching it, there'll also there'll be a moment in class when they're like, ah, why didn't I know this as well as um, the students? So they're not just teaching the students how to speak, but also how to communicate internationally and global. So that's one of the um, things I love about it is how global it is. I am really excited to to check it out because I've, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of adult general English. You know, there but there there are yeah. there are a fair few books out there, and um, as a as a teacher, I got very bored with endless English file. Like, sorry to say it, you know, I don't want to. I'm not dissing anybody here. It's it's a great book. It is like the standard um, adult general English book. Um, but it's so hard to keep the same thing going. They're on what their their fourth or fifth edition now. It's, yeah, it's it's been a lot of it. It's the fourth edition I think they're on now. So for me, that was you know when when roadmap came out from Pearson, it was really nice because it was a different take on it and it was it was organised in a different way. Um, and again, this is not a criticism of New English File in any way, shape, or form. But I, I'm really excited to see voices and, you know, just look at the the different approach because yeah. language learning is changing massively. Um, it's it's developing, it's adapting. All learning is is developing and adapting and and moving in in new new directions. So. Um, yeah, I'm very excited yeah. to to check it out and, and and have a look at it and well practice it with a class basically. So one day, yeah. that's there's another goal of mine for this year. Yeah. See, one of the other great things about it is the it's glo- the, the global aspect. So we use Elfpron, so mm-hmm. pronunciation for English as a lingua franca. So it's all about the ability to communicate and be intelligible to other speakers uh, across the world. So whereas so I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've got a Scottish accent, which isn't, <laughs> no isn't way. RP. It's not general American either. So often when I get to, and I'm not alone in this, anyone with a regional accent or anyone who ha, is maybe teaching English, whose first language isn't necessarily English, will um, relate to this. Um, or even anyone so from ex- any other country other well, exactly than this, the yeah. UK, the US or Canada. Like even, you know, even yeah, certain parts of these countries. And, yeah. yeah, Voices is embracing all the world accents and is about, um, so the pronunciation activities within it is about being intelligible globally and appreciating your accent and being able to choose what accent you want and to work towards and if you if you want to adapt it, then go for it. But if you don't, then don't feel you need to embrace what you have. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I, I really I love that that, that idea on pronunciation because when I was when I was studying for the Delta many many years ago, um, I got very obsessed with pronunciation, like super obsessed with pronunciation. It was like my um, I don't know. I, I went crazy on it. You know, I've, I've, I've got various talks um, and I got really annoyed within like Delta because it was just, it was so complex. You know, they was looking so deeply into it, which, of course, you have to do, you know, if you're going that step further. So what I ended up doing was create a whole bunch of activities that were 
simple. You didn't need to know all of, you know, elision and, and all these fancy yeah. words, um, binomial pairs and, and the, the, all these different things that, that are in, um, in ELT, all this TEFL talk. I, I wanted to get away from that and focus more on the pronunciation. And with my students, they would always come in and say, oh, you know, we want a native teacher so we can have a native accent. And it's like, no, that is no. Ab number one, you don't need a native teacher. Yeah. Um, you need a good teacher. You need a qualified yeah. teacher, first step. There are plenty of native teachers that are rubbish. There are also plenty of non-native teachers that are also rubbish. Like There are lots of teachers out there. <laughs> some of them are good. Some of them aren't. Um, so what you need is a teacher that's you know good and willing to help you with your pronunciation, not your accent. Your accent yeah. makes you beautiful. It's who exactly. you are. Like I absolutely love hearing people's different accents when they're speaking yeah. in English. Um, you know, you can still have great pronunciation and have a thick Spanish accent. It's yeah, all absolutely. about being able to about use getting that. Getting the point across. Exactly. And I like to, to know where people are from. So if somebody has a thick accent, I'll say, oh, wow, you know, that's a beautiful accent you've got. You know, where are you from? Where are you? Like, what's your what's your mother tongue? Yeah, I like to know this. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I know that when I speak Spanish, I definitely don't sound like I'm from Andalusia. Uh, that's for sure. But I do speak using the kind of the Andalusian I'm not going to say dialect because it's not a dialect in itself, but, you know, I use it an, an Andalus accent, you know, it's, mm -hmm. but I have my, my own English accent within it. Um, and people notice that. And it's a, often a, a topic of conversation that, you know, they say, ah, oh, you know, you have a, an accent from here, but obviously you're not from here. And we've developed a new name for it because if you're from Andalusia, your accent is Andaluz. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm not from Andalusia. I'm what a lot of people call a giddy. And a giddy oh, is, yeah. it can be a pejorative term um, uh -huh. if it's used in a horrible way. But usually it's used affectionately, to, particularly in the village. Um, and I refer to it now as, it's not Andaluz, it's giddy luz. So when I speak in <laughs> Spanish, it's like a bit giddy, it's a bit Andaluz, you know. So, um, but of course, you know, it, I don't encourage people to go around using, you know, negative uh terms for, for people but yeah here in in the village especially when i'm referred to as a giddy or the giddy it's it's in a nice way i'm a i'm a northern european person who's come to andalusia but for me when i speak in spanish it's a real thing about me it, it shows that you've made that effort to try and and learn another language but but with it be intelligible yeah Yeah. So that's definitely something I'm I looking I think intelligibility to. is the key. And yeah, it's really refreshing to have activities that I will be able to relate to with my own accent as well without I having love, to go. But I love that that's elf not prom. how I say it. Why are we teaching it like that? Why not let people... Yeah, so we've, yeah, a lot of it's about um, words that you want to be understood and then words that you want students to be able to see so receptive and productive skills yes yeah, so so the, some the, things you, know, you want the... them to be able to produce and some things you want them just to be able to understand ah uh, yeah like, like no... connected speech you don't really want them to be producing connect, connected speech because that's not going to make them intelligible but you want them to be able to understand 
exactly. speech, or at least be aware that connected speech is a thing. I've got a brilliant activity for that. Really, well, I've got a few. Um, so you, you need a metronome that beats okay. out like, I don't know, about 120 beats per minute or something like that. So like, I don't know if you can hear that. Yeah. And then you just say, pig, dog, cat, duck. Pig, dog, cat, duck. Pig, dog, cat, duck. So that's the first stage. You can draw your icons up on the board with that then, obviously, with your pig, Great. dog, cat, duck. And then you introduce a pig and a dog and a cat and a duck and a pig and a dog and a cat and a duck. And then you go on, you know, so you go a pig, a dog, a cat, a duck, a pig and a dog and a cat and a duck. And then you end with a pig and then a dog and then a cat and then a duck and then a pig and then a dog and then a cat and then a duck. And they can see that when they're doing these these activities, they can see that the stress is still on pig, dog, cat, mm. duck, but the, the and then a uh, goes in between and it's all connected in there. And, you know, they, they end up with, you know, and then, uh, you know, you don't, yeah. they don't necessarily have to be able to say it, but they have to know that, I mean, especially if they're in Glasgow, yeah. um, you can't yeah. be sitting there teaching them RP if they're going to go out to the shop and, I'm not going to imitate a Glaswegian accent <laughs> because I don't want to offend anybody. Um, you know, but, you know, they're out to get a loaf of bread, pal. You know. Yeah. I'd like a loaf of bread, please. You know, not a loaf yeah. of bread, pal. Uh, it's not going to work. Yeah. And especially with, I, I know you work with a lot of people who, as you mentioned before, are are very new to, to English. Um, so... Yeah, I imagine there are all sorts of problems you come across with with the pronunciation um, yeah. in your classes. Yeah, a lot of it, like they come to English class and they've asked me before, teacher, are you Scottish? I'm like, yeah, I am Scottish. And they, but teacher, are you from Glasgow? I'm like, well, I've lived in Glasgow for 20 years, but why can I understand you? And it's because <laughs> I, I modify my language when I'm speaking to them for one thing, but also I don't have the thick. Glaswegian accent that you, d- you definitely don't from the areas that they are living in yeah so, yeah you definitely yeah. don't have the traditional their neighbors would have or they would see on the bus here on the bus yeah it's not a traditional uh Glaswegian accent I have to say yeah. it's it's a, a lot softer um yeah. it's the but I have in the past used things like you know still game and stuff like that like comedy shows from Glasgow um yeah to get them a bit of yeah to get them yeah. aware of the Glasgow accent I mean that is, and actually, some of them have picked up the Glasgow accent amazingly well. It's a hell of amazingly a place well. to go, isn't it? I mean, if you know, for your your first stop in the UK, as it were, to go and and that yeah. to be your first type of English you encounter, it's, yeah. it must be so bizarre. If they then move on to you know another country, I, I was speaking mm-hmm. to a a gentleman from uh, Sudan the other day. Uh, he was in one of my volunteer classes that I do with with Sanctuary from Le- um, Leicester University. And he said when he arrived in England six years ago, he ar- well, in, in the UK, sorry, I just said England. Oh, that's terrible. When he arrived in the UK, he went to Glasgow first. Um, mm-hmm. And he just said, learning English in Glasgow, it, it was so difficult because he then moved down to London and was just like, this is a different language. Like this yeah. is it, it's it's not the same language in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, uh, I think having that 
addressed that there are these different accents and it isn't just, you know, pronunciation is you speak like yeah. this person. So of, one of the communication skills, I can't remember which level, it's definitely somewhere, um, is about dealing with accents and understanding accents and... But when you think about when you think about you know our, our students or, or students of English in general, most of the con most of the contact they're going to have with English is not going to be with native speakers. Exactly. So eighty percent you know? of uh, language users are um, don't speak it as a first language. Well, exactly. So they yeah. It's it's insane for the for for them to so try and say I want to sound are... English exactly. Yeah, you know, if they go it's... into a business meeting, let's say they're on Zoom with a business meeting, they're probably going to be speaking to people in Italy, Germany, Absolutely. France, yeah. Brazil, where not one of these people, not one of their mother tongue, is going to be English. So you don't need yeah. to go in there with you know this perfect accent and a thousand idioms and hundreds yeah. of phrasal verbs. Think, like, yeah. You, you don't need that. Um, don't get me wrong. I love idioms. I think they're super fun, and I love learning them in but other they're not languages plain English, as well. Are they? they're, they're not plain English, and then you know they're not going to help you. But some business ones will help you, um, mm -hmm. but if you're doing business with um, English speakers in Italy, China, and Brazil in the at the same time, it's probably best not to go in there. Um, speaking with a whole bunch of idioms because and there's so many idioms how, how long is that going to take to learn oh, exactly and yeah so another one of the communication skills is about um, if you misunderstand someone or you've not understood something basically being able to convey that and being able to say sorry can you say that again but those kind of things not just what like oh, what hey? sorry I don't <laughs> understand that idiom so that kind of yeah yeah, it's uh, it's something that, as I say, I do love to teach a fun idiom, and they're 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 great for drawings as well. I imagine you know to have a whale of a time must yeah. be a really fun idiom to draw. Yeah, you know, your whale and your clock. You know, it's it's a fun way of of passing time. But I think you know an obsession with idioms is. Um, yeah, is, I've kind of I've stopped teaching them to be honest, unless they're brought up in class or a student asks me what it is or it's something super super common. Yeah. But yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's something that, as a, like, you know, I'll, I might do it with my, with my particularly young learners, with my my sort of seven year olds. So, you know, if we're talking about food, we'll look at maybe a food idiom, or if we're talking about animals, we'll look at an animal idiom, and we'll say, you know, we use this for this, this, and this. But you know, I I don't remember the last time I said I, I've had a whale of a time. Um, <laughs> I usually just use the F word and put it with great time, you know, oh, I had a great time. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, I tend to use that Even instead. Even when I'm doing webinars or whatever now, I try not to use idiomatic language when I'm doing my teacher training sessions because I've got so many speakers from all over the world that are that want to understand it. So why would I put that barrier there? A lot that of is it, I something think. that I mean, I've really had to work on. A lot on. of it's about training people to not use idiomatic language and to use plain English so that's something I've, I've really had to work on I mean I've been writing some scripts for um for a publisher uh for their uh, they're going to do an online tutorial for their exam um and you know I, what I like to do is write them out and then say them to make sure they actually make sense um 
and I noticed that I was like dropping idiomatic language in there just like naturally. And I was like, that's, you know, you, you, you wouldn't say that to, you, yeah. you wouldn't, you know, you're not going to understand that. It needs to be plain English, but it still needs to be approachable. Um, and with my, my webinars and my trainings that I've done, particularly post pandemic um, or, well, post lockdown, basically, um, yeah. since then I've really had to, adjust my language and think about you know who I'm speaking to because beforehand my conference would be English teachers but they'd mostly be English teachers from academies so they all had you know a, a pretty high level of, of English but since you know I've been working for various different publishers with we'll be doing conferences in in you know South America and there'll be five six hundred people in there you know you can't expect all of those who are teaching English to have a high B2 level of English to be yeah, able yeah, to understand yeah. everything. You know, you know, there's probably quite a few of them that have that had a B2 level of English 25 years ago who have been teaching kids for the last 25 years and they haven't been using their English in other aspects. So, you know, you need to – I'm not going to say tone your English down because it's not that, but you need to use plain English so everybody can understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same with my blog posts. I've kind of tried to strip all that um, idiomatic language out of my blog posts as well. That's something that I've... So I don't often write my own blog anymore. I do it very occasionally. I, I usually write blogs when other people ask me to. And that's something I've, I've really learned from when I was writing my own blog with my classroom ideas and stuff like that. That was basically stream of consciousness. And that was sort of four or five years ago. Since then, blog writing has changed so much. You know, you can't really just do that anymore. You know, it has to have this structure. You can't have too many sentences longer than 20 words. You can't have a paragraph longer than 300 words. And there's all this, this like, stylized writing that I didn't know about beforehand that I've now adapted to, to my, own, my own writing. And, again, it is taking out the idiomatic language because, you know, while it's nice, it's, mm. it's not essential. Um, yeah. And I had to do that again with the article that I wrote for for Futurity, for the IATEFL, for the Global Issues um, Special Interest Group. I really had to take it back and strip it down to its, you know, the bare bones. And I think we need to approach our, our lessons and our language in that way. I think it's a, I don't know, it's it's an important approach to take and not focusing too much on this you know, it's it's great to learn idioms. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing <laughs> it teachers. Much more accessible. Yeah, I'm not criticizing teachers who teach idioms. Um, I do think they are they are super fun and they can have a great place in the classroom. And it's also really good to to learn other languages as well. Like learning the ah, oh, well, in you know, as mad yeah. as a hatter in in English, it translates to being as mad as a goat in Spanish. Yeah, you know, and you have these different and they can things. be quite interesting conversations to have with the students as well. Exactly, and particularly for like you know conversation classes and stuff like that, it's really fun to get into that because you can then hone in on the language within the idioms. You know, you can break it down. You can look at the if you want to have a, a grammatical focus on it, you can look at that and you can you can take an idiom or a set phrase or something like that and really focus on it and and work your way around that, but. I don't know. And let, 
obviously, unless you want to do a proficiency exam, in which case you need to know all the idioms. Um, <laughs> Every single one. Absolutely all of them, because if you don't, then you will definitely fail. Um, <laughs> and it, it reminds me of um, a, a, t- a student I had, sorry, doing the FCE. Now, it wasn't idioms, it was phrasal verbs. Um, but he said the night before, uh, he studied all the phrasal verbs and tried to get them into as much of his writing as he could. And I was just like, Sergio, wow. I've told you a hundred times, for these exams, you don't study the night before. This isn't a Spanish exam. And phrasal verbs, you only need to know them for five or six questions within the FCA exam. You don't need to be able to use all of them. And funnily enough, his writing came back with an absolutely atrocious grade. But anyway, <laughs> that, that's, um, that was a bit of a tangent. Um, <laughs> it's been lovely. It's been lovely having you on. Yeah, it's been great. Um, Thanks for having me on. It's it's been absolutely wonderful. Um, really lovely to 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 get to know you, to get to know more about graphic facilitation and of course voices. I encourage everyone to check out Emily's blog. I'll put her her website on the um, on the description box at the end. Also follow her on all the social medias. Um, she's on Twitter. She's on. Facebook, she's on Insta and she's on um, LinkedIn. So get out there, follow her for for lots of advice and join in with the drawing ELT hashtag. Um, So thank you very much for coming. Uh, Next week, I'm only going to be on for an hour um, because I have some business to attend to. So thank you very much for coming, Emily, and um, I'll speak to everyone next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.